Welcome back to Dateline New Haven. This is Paul Bass inviting you to look behind the headlines and the stories that make New Haven tick. There was a big headline involving a very not interesting sounding bill that actually is going to make a huge difference but has a boring title. And it's the Vision Zero bill, which has a longer name. What's the name? Recommendations. Of the Vision Zero Council. So it's a law that's actually called the Recommendations of the Vision Zero Council. But what it really means is that after many years of fighting and New Haveners going up to Hartford and people getting killed on the road, we now have a bill that's going to bring automated red light and speed cameras to the streets of New Haven and do a lot of things that people want to make Steve she's safer. We're going to make happen. State Rep. Roland Lamar from New Haven has led that charge. He's the head of the Transportation Committee. He's put this bill in year after year, and it just passed. And we're going to talk to him about how that happened, what that means for how we govern. Roland Lamar, thanks for coming. Today. Thank you for having me. Was Paul. that accurate, everything I said? Yes. Including, so you guys don't think about, like, the Biden administration had the Inflation Reduction Act, which had nothing to do with inflation. It didn't reduce inflation. But it was catchy. Or bring jobs back or build, rebuild America. Yeah, we're constrained by a legislative dictum that uh, our legislative commissioner's office, which is a nonpartisan uh Agency within the General Assembly, they craft the bill titles. We but can't you say, okay, that. don't take a side, don't do marketing, but can you say at least tell us what the bill is? Could they call it like the Safe Streets Bill or something? I mean, we could have. I guess advocates, myself included, could have, uh, you know, <laughs> pretended it was called something else. And or is it a way to make it less controversial by having no one pay attention who might not like it because you got this boring name? Well, I'm pretty sure people were paying attention to this one. <laughs> and they were paying attention. Yeah. So uh, we're going to ask you to get close to the mic. First of all, how did it feel? After how many years was it you've been pushing this bill? I, I think if we want to be honest about how a, a, this bill, specifically this policy, uh, germinated and then became law, you have to start way back in 2006. Uh, there's a nascent movement in the country uh, that started to take hold in New Haven uh, around complete streets policies, about road safety, about uh, redesigning our traffic systems, our street systems, uh, to be multi-use, to be protective of all users. Uh, in other words, streets aren't just for cars. That's right. That's right. That, that, these aren't throughways. These are the building blocks of neighborhoods. Um, I think that's a direct quote I gave the New York Times in 2006 on it. Mm-hmm. Um, myself and Aaron Sturgis Pascal. I'm sorry, they're not throughways. They're... they're the building blocks of our neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how you get to school. It's how you get to the grocery store. It's how you get to work on a daily basis. Some people utilize them for driving cars, but in a city like New Haven... Uh, a lot of people are just walking to and from the places that they need to go on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like respecting that reality and the, the really remarkable amount of traffic violence that occurs on our roadways uh, wouldn't be tolerated in any other sphere of our society. Um, mm-hmm. And so starting in, in 2006 with uh, Alder Aaron Sturgis Pascal, uh, she and I introduced the Complete Streets Ordinance. We began that process here in New Haven of sort of looking at that. We had a complete streets design manual um, and legislatively that was the direction that we took at that time. Uh, there was also a push at the time, uh, Mayor Stefano helped to lead uh, the original push, which was to look at automated traffic enforcement. Mm. Um, that I think was complicated because it was both a safety related issue, but also a revenue generated conversation about how much money 
uh, we could generate if we moved in that direction. And people, and so people say, well, then you're going to have an incentive to give people things who don't deserve it, so therefore it's a money grab. I always thought, why don't you guys just admit it and say, yes, we want to take in money because people are driving like absolute maniacs, and if we can catch one-tenth of them, it'd be great to bring money in on that while we also try to deter them from doing it and then have some money to rebuild our streets in safe ways. And, and, and exactly, Paul, that's what led to a 12-year fight on this. Right? <laughs> um, I think looking at the ex examples from across the country, the programs that are designed as revenue enhancements for local municipalities are the ones that become deeply unpopular. They're the ones that get removed. They're the ones but that... But then they get mad at you for taxing people. I guess they say uh, it's another form of tax. That, that, well, but it's a tax exactly on people right. running red lights and running over kids. Yeah, and, but there are also circumstances across the country that we wanted to protect against, right? Because you saw local communities that would decrease the yellow light time, uh, oh. essentially, sort of like the uh, the old Bugs Bunny cartoons oh. or the Dukes of Hazard, right, where the local officers would pull down a 35-mile-hour speed zone uh, and turn it into a 25. Or like, also like, in some communities, especially black communities, the cops come in and try to write tickets for stuff to get you on little violations to jam you up. That's so right. So, so that. people are worried about like yeah. aggressive level of policing that happens with this. Um, and then there were some real, real concerns about how this technology had been utilized, how it had been operationalized against communities of color um, in, across the country. And I think those were very real concerns that were always in the backdrop of this and conversation. And just so people know what we're talking about, are we mostly talking about cameras here that go on traffic lights and either catch you running a light or speeding? And we used to have to be careful to talk about which one we're talking about, but the bill you pass is going to allow both kinds, right? Yes. The vision, the right. So... Like you said, I introduced this bill in 2011 for the first time in the General Assembly. I get elected in 2010. In 2011, I introduced uh, this as, as um, a package of bills that I introduced as a new legislator. It got through the Transportation Committee at the time, Planning and Development, and the Finance Committee. So I was feeling really good about it. Um, generally, I did not have the support on the floor. Running into the concerns of how are communities going to utilize this? Is it going to be a moneymaker for communities? Is this going to be used to target out-of-towners? And is this going to be operationalized against communities of color? Those were the primary concerns that people had. Um, there was also a backdrop of like, well, you know, the privacy concerns, like whether or not you had a right to operate on the roadway and no one could record you or videograph um, your car or you personally uh, doing something wrong and who would hold that data. There's a lot of other externalities associated with the technology that people wanted to handle on. Mm -hmm. um, and so over the years, I, I listened to a lot of those conversations. We were experiencing something in New Haven though, Paul, right? Like we, we were feeling this in a different way. At the Capitol, we we're having conversations about, is this right or wrong? How do we utilize technology? How shouldn't we utilize technology? Is this a privacy concern? Is this generating revenues? We were watching remarkable levels of traffic violence in our city. Um, we were on a on a more than annual basis seeing real tragedies occur on our streets with the prime example of people running red lights, people speeding, uh, communities being sort of shut down by the amount of uh, people who are just speeding through without any regard to who lived there, the communities. Uh, and that was not a racial thing. I hear this you more hear in the black community, lower income than other places about how nervous they feel in the street from the people speeding through. That's right. And so we're experiencing this very acutely in New Haven. Is there way, any number to, is there a way to quantify that increase or the level of violence we were seeing on our streets? I don't know that I have specific New Haven data at top of mind, but I do know um, in the last few years, this has been become a Connecticut problem and a national issue. Uh, but we're experiencing Connecticut. Connecticut last year, 2022, was the deadliest year in Connecticut's roadways in the last 35 years. 
And that comes after 2021, which was then the deadliest year, and 2020, which was then the deadliest year. So mm. we've, we've experienced remarkable increases in fatalities on our roadways. 2023 is setting up to again be the deadliest year in Connecticut history. Why is that happening? Uh, I mean, people want to attribute some of this to like post-pandemic, the social norms are sort of uh, out the window and people are operating without regard to anyone else's concerns. There's more factors to this. One, we're driving larger vehicles, much larger vehicles than we used well, to. Was that stopping for a while? People wanted to like cut back on gas or not? I, I mean, I anecdotally, that was what you would hear. But the average passenger vehicle in the early 2000s was a Toyota Camry. The average passenger vehicle in 2023 is a Ford F-150. Right, mm. just the structural change on average of what. Um, the most co common and popular cars are means that when you uh, approach an intersection nationally or in, in Connecticut nationally and so so when you have an accident a much larger heavier vehicle that are operating at much higher speeds which is also true we we've been able to identify that on our roadways here in Connecticut the average travel average travel speeds uh, up the uptick was incredible post pandemic we're evaluating that on our highways mostly um, but if you hit somebody or another vehicle going 25 miles per hour in a Toyota Camry, the chances of being a, a serious or significant or fatal injury are remarkably low compared to what happens when you hit another individual or car going 45 miles per hour in a Ford F-150. Mm -hmm. You add in the level of distractions both on board and in hand, like people looking at their GPS on their, on their screens rather than looking at the road ahead of them, checking uh, text messages or telephone calls on their phone. You, you have a remarkably deadly combination um, that's happening on our roadways. And, 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 and frankly, it's something beyond the ability of our local police departments themselves to handle. Like you can't hire enough police officers, nor don't, do I think we'd want to, to address this issue. There's, there's got to be some use of technology. We're, to get We're to talking it. to Roland Lamar, state rep, who just had a big victory in the session that ended last week. A bill he's been pushing in some form since 2011 passed to have automatic, well, it was always allowed, but this promotes and makes it easier for municipalities to put automatic speed and red light cameras. It was not, I mean, I know there's some disagreement on this issue. There wasn't a single community anywhere in the state that had developed automated enforcement because they did not think there was statutory allowance for it at the state level. So is this level. enabling legislation? It has sets rules for it. Yes, this, we set guidelines and rules uh, for communities on their own to develop uh, automated But the state had put those cameras up. We had the pilot, right, on state roads. So starting in 2021, as part of another bill that I'd worked on that established this Vision Zero Council that made ultimately these recommendations. It didn't come from me, which helped this year. They didn't come from me. They came from um, a nonpartisan uh, multi-agency effort that we established in 2021 called the Vision Zero Council. That was that The goal of that is to eliminate all traffic fatalities uh, essentially saying that zero is the allowable, acceptable number that we should expect on our roadways. Um, they, they've proffered a series of recommendations, all included in this bill. Some of them, I think, are incredible. They've not gotten any attention, um, but will we'll yield far fewer deaths as well. And part of that process was to allow local communities to identify the most dangerous intersections in town. Mm -hmm. analyze that data, collect that data, analyze it, make recommendations for the state department of transportation's approval about where cameras would go, collect data of who is getting ticketed, the revenue collected, which we limit. We put down at a, a $50. Yeah. Um, why so small? 
So there was a great, uh, I had a constituent concern early on, and they wanted me to look at evidence of violations in other communities, namely European communities, that would target an individual um, who has of very modest means, and they'd issue a $50 ticket, or they would uh, look at their income and issue $10,000 speeding tickets. We have, I'm, uh, they were giving me this example of, a, I think, in a Scandinavian country where a multi-billionaire received a $10,000 speeding ticket. I like the concept of it. I like the construct of it. Um, it violated every other advocacy basis concerns about, yeah, I had, I had the ACLU telling me they didn't want us to accumulate that much individual data. And in order to run that type of program, I know- This makes it complicated. It makes it very complicated to the point that I have to have a private company having access to your income data to determine how much the ticket was gonna be. So Rebecca Sweeney Goddard says, congratulations, Roland, on many years of fighting for this issue. Thank you for listening. So the bill passed. What is so the bill? So the, the criticism was that we could already do this, and you said no municipality believed they could without the statutory guidance and approval for municipality. And do we get to keep the money? Yes, we get to keep the money, but identifying that as a concern over the last few years, a number of communities felt like one this is going to be operationalized against them. They used real examples from across the country of where this technology had been utilized against communities to raise revenue. That it was put up in areas where they expected the least political pushback. The uh. dollars collected would be utilized to support uh, investments in a local community or to lower the mill rate. And, and the community that was most impacted would not see a direct uh, benefit in any way. So, so we crafted this very specifically to address that concern. Keep the, keep the fines low. Try to change behavior, not collect revenue. We want to pay off the program, right? We don't want this to be a net loss for communities. But every dollar that you collect, in addition to those that are used to pay off the program, has to be utilized for traffic safety in the impacted area. Mm -hmm. So if I say, and I'll use, I'm, I'm very specifically going to use locations in my district that I think are appropriate for this technology. If I say we want to look at the area in and around the hospital, um, and determine that that's a good location for speed cameras or red light cameras. Is there two hospital uh, hospitals? The hospital where, like, like where my Lorenoff, that like with a series yeah, by Yellow Haven in the hill. Yeah, that's right. Like that location, and I want to say that's a good location for red light cameras or speed cameras. I need those dollars to be dedicated to improving that intersection, improving road safety more generally. In that, does that area. mean speed humps, narrowing? Uh... We don't determine how they do it. But they have to prove that that's how they used it or else the program will not get reauthorized. Now, this doesn't roll out till 2026? I saw that article. That's not true. Um, okay. The guidelines have to be issued by January 1st of 2024, beginning in the, of, um, sorry, January 1st, 2024. Uh, DOT will proffer those guidelines. They'll submit those to local com communities. Communities can start developing their program, start meeting with individual vendors now, start developing their own program. Um, but they're going to have to follow the guidelines that DOT adopts. And it's beginning January 1st of 2024, they can begin uh, starting to develop their program. So what's the earliest we could see these cameras? I, I would say mid-2024, a year from now, realistically, is the earliest you'll see them. But it can happen then, you think? Yeah. Because we have a movement in New Haven that really keeps people honest. Yeah. So I want to ask Roland Lamar, who's here on Dateline New Haven, about the new... I'm not going to give you the whole name because it's boring, but it's called the Vision Zero Bill that's going to allow us to have automated speed cameras. So, Roland, what changed? You told me about how reality changed over those years. There were more fatalities, faster vehicles, people getting more upset about the carnage. How did you make, and you talked about how you listened to legitimate concerns and addressed them. What made this happen over time? Was it grassroots people organizing the growing 
safe streets movement in New Haven that becomes politically important. So they, when they write letters to the legislators, show up at a hearing. Is that what got it over? Was it behind the scenes having experienced legislators like yourself who've been up for years, have um, become a committee chair, know how to get legislation through, have private conversations with colleagues who might stand in the way? Or was it just reality changing outside your doors? It's, a, it's all of the above, frankly. And I think oftentimes we give legislators too much credit uh, or blame for a specific bill passing. I'm only able to get this done because of a lot of the factors you identify. Uh, frankly, being a committee chair and chair of transportation committee helps a lot. Yes, and it takes you a long time, particularly in the House, to accumulate enough um, seniority and standing to uh, become a chair of a large committee like that, an influential committee like that. And so that, that does take time. That did take a lot of effort. Um, and it does take hours and hours of individual conversations with other legislators from across the state who have varying degrees of interest or um, understanding of this type of technology, frankly, in communities that would never even consider it. I have to tell them the story of New Haven, what's happening on our roadways in Connecticut, and make the case for them to vote for something that may in no way ever... Did it work? It did. It like, did. give an example of somebody. Uh, I, I don't want to betray private conversations, but you saw 104 legislators in the House vote for this bill this year. I couldn't get 11 years ago. I couldn't get up to 77. And the communities that were most uh, willing to come along on, on this bill were folks who started to see a growing pedestrian advocacy um, and safe streets advocacy in their community. So you need that advocacy base, people who are reminding them. So in other words, it spread to the suburbs. Yeah, it spread to the suburbs. And, and you saw that, again, the traffic data, the tragedies that happen across our state are impacting families um, um, and communities throughout Connecticut now in a way that it, it, we knew in New Haven was true but wasn't being experienced uh, at 169 communities. And, so, and frankly, like I, I gotta say, the advocacy organizations that had generally been in opposition in the past. ACLU. ACLU, namely, NAACP. NAACP um, have been the, the primary organizations opposed to this. If I don't listen, like I'm generally a legislator who is on the same side as the ACLU and the NAACP, and if they think I'm wrong about something, it's going to make me question if I'm right. Right. And frankly, I go back to the table and start looking at what those concerns are. I look at every year of testimony they've ever submitted, and I see if I can't address every single issue. In the end, they still didn't come on board. No. At the end of the day, they still didn't say, we support this legislation. But I think every realistic concern that I could address is addressed in that bill. And I gave a, essentially a escape hatch to the whole program. If something goes wrong or this technology is not being utilized the way it's designed, and if I'm if something happens that I don't see, the whole program gets un, like you have to go through a reauthorization process in three years after they, you first start. And if you don't have the data to support this, or we think we determine that you're not using it properly, or it's not reducing traffic fatalities in the location, or you're not investing those dollars the way that we tell you you have to, the whole program disappears. So how does it feel, Roland Lamar, to have succeeded after 12 years on this? It, it feels good, right? Like, I mean, I, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort. Um, and I took a few years off in between, right? From 2013 to 2021, I don't introduce another camera bill. I focus on a number of other issues I believed in, uh, another other pedestrian safety, traffic safety related issues. I focus on a number of fair housing issues, uh, national popular vote. I did the Dreamers bill uh, in 2016. Um, so a number of other passions of mine that I care about legislatively that I got to work on. 
but I really put a lot more effort into this again, starting in 2021. And, and I think the amount of hours, really, frankly, I, I calculated at like 250 hours worth of time over the last few years on this bill alone. Um, I had, I have incredible staff, uh, transportation committee, I have a legislative attorney, uh, Katrina How does it feel? You go into politics, you devote your life to yeah. politics, you work on campaigns, you work on bills, you're committee chair. What does it feel to, to work so long on a bill and get it through? It, it, it's, honestly, you start thinking, okay, what's next? Okay, what's next? Uh, so, I really want to hyper-focus in on safe routes to school. So, so as a transportation committee mm. chair, I want to make sure how we talk about getting kids to and from school on a daily basis is more at the center of this, like sidewalk installations, bus improvements, uh, street narrowings. Like how do we really focus this investment and this time in and around schools? Uh, I want to focus a little bit more. And, and like, this is, this is something that um, it nationally is happening. Uh, like electrifying our bus fleet. How do I uh, make sure that we have the requisite number of dollars and the technologies in place in places like New Haven where high levels of asthma. Are you uh, talking about CT? Because you've started that with CT Transit. We did. Yeah, we started with CT Transit. It's going to be really expensive. The timeline's a little too slow. We're looking at 2035 before full implementation across the state. I want to see if we can't move that up um, to just decrease the, the amount of uh, How negative about delineators on bike lanes? Uh, delineators are, they get knocked down the first day, those little du rubber ducky poles. I mean, it is it is definitely a stopgap measure, right? Like, well, that's how they built it. Edu no, why did it take so many years for us to get that bike lane? It's still only half built, and its delineators get knocked down. Yeah. I, I thought it was going to be a separated concrete thing that you got, you know, a, a barrier that has a bike lane. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, that's something on the engineering side at the local level. I, 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 I trust Giovanni Zinn went through an exhaustive process to try and get that up and going. Um, I, I don't know ultimately what the determination is, but all of the evidence suggests that delineators are like they're they're a nice way to show that there's a separated line, but provide zero protection. Roland Lamar, do you get to take a deep breath? You talking about the next street hill to climb? Oh no, I, I I'm always focused on the next thing. All right, well congratulations on 12 year fight to get state legislation to promote the use of red light cameras becomes automated in our city. You think it's going to save lives? It will definitely save lives. And that's what it's about, right? That's right. Thank you for joining us for On Lamar on Dateline New Haven. Thank you. Thanks, Harry Droz, for working the controls. We're going to take it out. The Afro-Semitic experience performing I Wish I Knew. How would it feel to be free from the group CD, A Plea for Peace? This is Paul Bass inviting you to fly free with us all day and all night at WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio.